Hi, this is Elliot Axelman from the Liberty Block. Check us out on libertyblock.com and live every week at 7 p.m. on Thursday evenings. Always principled, always libertarian. Welcome back to the Liberty Block. I'm Elliot Axelman. We're lucky to have Aaron Day here in the Axel studio. He's a libertarian candidate for governor in the libertarian primary, which will be September 11th, next Tuesday. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here, Aaron. We have a ton of questions for you. Thank you for having me. So first, just go through your, your background. What have you done for a living? Uh, for a living, well, I started my first company. I went to Duke. I dropped out, started an internet Good. company uh, in uh, 1995, sold that. And f for 20 years or so, I've actually been an entrepreneur, investor, and advisor in startup companies. That's my true what, passion. What types of companies? Uh, healthcare companies, uh, technology companies, and even clean technology, as you guys were actually talking about earlier. I've, yeah. I've actually I've actually been in that in that field, excellent, doing things you know with LED lighting and solar and everything else. And the thing is, it, it, the fascinating thing for me is that entrepreneurs want to solve problems. Entrepreneurs don't want waste. They're actually trying to figure out a way ways to reduce waste. Mm -hmm. um, and government intervention kills it every single time. Uh, you have a great quote. What's that? What is that quote about government and uh, solving problems? It was fantastic. Well, I mean, government manufactures problems, uh, subsidizes inferior solutions, and then bans voluntary solutions. That that's yeah. essentially what it is. And and I learned that firsthand. There are places in New Hampshire that are using the LED solar solutions that I was involved with. So using LED as power. Using replacing, if you look at if you go to uh, like a supermarket or an automobile dealership, the lighting there is uses massive amounts of electricity. Okay, I mean more so than anything that you can imagine in your house, um, and so you can replace that lighting with LED lighting and then put solar on top of it. But the reason that doesn't get mass adoption is because government subsidies favor inferior, like for instance, GE products. I mean, th that's truthfully the biggest obstacle that I ran against. It wasn't – I can make an, an ar argument that says within 18 months you'll get your money back if you buy this product. Uh, but at the end of the day, the challenge is that the government is actually subsidizing through the Department of Energy inferior products. So, so what would your be approach – should you win the governor's race? What would be your approach to fixing this problem and, and allowing for solutions? Well, it's about free markets in general. I mean, I've actually talked to uh, a company that's called Transatomic that reuses uh, spent fuel rods on the nuclear front. I met with them in Cambridge. It's about truly opening up the market, and that has not happened here in any way, shape, or form. What you have, what you always have, is people are presented with a decision. You have to decide between the lesser of two evils. Mm -hmm. This group of special interests has this solution, this group has the other. That's not how the world works. You know, HP, Google, all of these companies were kind of started out of a garage. These are not people that you would have ever bet. They're all underdogs. They're all mm -hmm. people that... They just had a solution. They I had guess. a solution, they had inspiration. And, and what government kills is the inspiration that actually drives achievement and production. And, and so fundamentally, I would be about getting the government out of the business of selecting between two inferior so back to a, crony alternatives. So you support a true free market. Absolutely. Now, now again, knowing from the, the GOP platform on a federal level and the New Hampshire GOP platform, I'm sure it says that they support free markets. Why aren't you running as a Republican? Well, this is an interesting, misunderstood concept. I've actually been a 
libertarian 20 out of 23 years. Uh, I moved to New Hampshire as part of the Free State Project. I was actually the chairman of the Free State Project for uh, a short period of time. And New Hampshire has very specific problems. We, we, we're mm. actually in a... And no one will believe it. I'll say it now, and then two years from now, we'll replay this video. Uh, we have a financial crisis. We have expanded spending at 30 times the rate of population growth over the last 30 years, adjusted for inflation. So we are spending out of control. Is that we Democrats have, in power, Republicans both? Or, both, or? It, both and, but more, I guess, tragically from my perspective, is learning that Republicans have actually driven the most uh, damaging policies. You know, if I had to describe it, Democrats will tax you today, and they'll say, you know, we want to raise taxes. Republicans are slicker than that. What they'll do is they'll figure out a way to take from future generations. Mar Margaret Thatcher once said, you know, you know, the problem with socialism is sooner or later you run out of other people's, people's money. money. Republicans have figured out how to tax and get into your children's money and your grandchildren's money. And it's that... Maybe that's part why they're incentivizing me to have kids. Well, <laughs> it, well, it is part of why they're incentivizing you to have kids. And it's part of the reason why uh, we have to address these issues now. It's the challenge for me running for governor. If I say, well, the sky is falling and we have all these economic issues, eh, people might say, well, low unemployment, so on and so forth. But uh, the reality is spending is out of control. Pensions are unfunded by, underfunded by $5 billion. And if we don't address it, uh, we are going to be in a really dire circumstance very quickly. Yeah. So the state budget right now, it's done on a two-year basis, right? So the budget for two years. Yes. And it's right around $12 billion now, so $6 billion a year New Hampshire spends. Roughly. A little under 5.8, whatever. Yeah. So what's been the pattern? Because I actually don't know the history of that. I know coming from New York, what they and they're always increasing. Is, has it been increasing? The 27 state years ago, the budget was under $600 million. That's a... Uh, Less than 10% of what it is now. Furthermore, on top of that, 30% of our budget is now Medicaid and comes from the federal government. I'm running on the basis of two big points. One is solvency. The other is sovereignty. If we don't fix our solvency issue, it's kind of like if you think about running your own household. If, you know, if, you're, if you're not collecting as much or earning as much as you're paying out, eventually you're going to be homeless. You're, you're going to run out of money. But, but the sovereignty issue is a big one. You look back 27 years ago, we had minimal dependence on the federal government. At the rate we're going, within 10 years, we're going to reach that point where 50% of our budget comes from the federal government. Why this is important is if you mm -hmm. look at the EU, for example. Uh, the EU, Greece, you have all of these riots, you have Brexit, you have all of these other issues. We will not, as the state of New Hampshire, be able to say when the federal government comes and says, we want you to bail out Illinois, we mm -hmm. want you to bail out California, we want you to bail out New York, we will have no standing in that if our own state is over 50% funded by the federal government. That's why Medicaid expansion and, and the repeal of it is the stone of why I'm running for governor, governor because... It's not even just about Medicaid. It's, it's the, it, what's been problematic for me is a lot of people will say, well, it's a pet issue. It's not a pet issue. It's 30% of the budget, but it's not even – the lie about Medicaid is that Medicaid is providing government assistance for people that are, that are poor. They've been taking money from Medicaid and diverting it for other purposes, and so it goes on and on and so on. Mo money, Medicaid money from the federal government – 
is going to the, the general fund in New Hampshire? It has for 27 years. It's, it, it started in... That's bad. Uh, it, it, it started 27 years ago. Judd Gregg, Republican, was running for... He was governor at the time. He was running for U.S. Senate, and, he, and there was a $35 million budget shortfall. Now, I mean, my experience is... You went back to the bio. I, you know, I've, I've started companies. I've hired hundreds of employees and everything else. If I'm in that situation, I'm going to say, well, if I've got a $35 million deficit, you either need to generate more revenue or spend less. More importantly, spend less. And what he came up with was a plan to steal money from our children. And this is what you call Metascam? It's Metascam. Okay. And it's well documented. And it's well understood. And, you know, what becomes more problematic is Judd Gregg went on to win. He was successful, became a U.S. senator past tarp it's it i mean it goes on and on and on but it's all a lie and the question is what are we going to do about it as citizens of new hampshire do we want to take control of our state do we want to you know be a sovereign state and do we want to be solvent yeah and we're republicans and democrats are both heading in the wrong direction but surprisingly Republicans are at the cornerstone yeah. of this. Yeah, I, I want to get into sovereignty as well, sovereignty from the federal government. Because I was just ranting earlier today about how even the few laws that are state laws that that are different state by state, the federal government controls, if not all of them, at least the federal government can control them all and, and they regulate them all. I want to get into that as well, but I also want to talk about the um, the Medicaid expansion, Obamacare Medicaid expansion. We've had now for the last two years, in November it'll be two years, of full Republican control of all four branches of New Hampshire government, right? So um, the New Hampshire Medicaid expansion has to be reauthorized every two years, right? Surely there are Republicans in control not supporting welfare. Surely they didn't reauthorize it, right? The Republicans were the ones that – so here's what happened. Medicaid expansion is part of Obamacare, but the Supreme Court said we're going to leave it up to the states. So in 2013 – it was the Republicans that actually pushed for expanding Medicaid, uh, Jeb Bradley and Chuck Morris. And in fact, at that time, the Democrats actually controlled the House, but yet the Republicans pushed expanding Medicaid. And so the reauthoriz- the so passing and reauthorizing Medicaid expansion has been a 100% Republican problem. That, that's sickening. And again, antithetical to the GOP platform, which you were in GOP leadership, right? So you know the platform? Well, I, I, I assume I, I, it does not support welfare? Well, it doesn't support it. It's the number one issue. This is, you know, you've probably seen some of these memes where it's like, well, Medicaid, Medicare, Social Security, what was the breakdown in distribution? They had, they all had bipartisan support, right? When Obamacare passed, it was 100% Democrat with 0% Republican participation. I was involved and I was in meetings with faction leaders, with Jeb Bradley, with Chuck Morris, Everybody agreed within the Republican Party, except for Jeb Bradley and Chuck Morris, that we should not expand Medicaid. Mm -hmm. It is against the platform. It's against the financial welfare of the state. And I subsequently learned, uh, well, it passed anyway. And the the arm twisting and everything else I've written about uh, in large detail, but a lot of it comes back to Sununu. Um, he supported and, Medicaid expansion, well, reauthorization? John H. Sununu supported Medicaid expansion and not only supported it, pushed it. So I mentioned Judd Gregg was the one who passed Metascam. Judd Gregg was the governor. John H. Sununu was the chief of staff to George H.W. Bush yeah. at the time. They're the ones that found the loophole to figure out how to steal money from the federal government to use it for the state budget. That was the original aspect of this 
Fast forward 27 years, now here we are, and people are trying to kind of maintain their legacy. Um, and uh, Chris Noon has been at the heart of it, even as, as executive counselor. So yeah, it's, it's horrifying to me. And the more people that, as I said, I've written about it and documented the sources, the more people that learn and understand about it, the more, there are a lot of people really frustrated, which is why I can't be a Republican. The, the, the only reason I was a Republican, again, was uh, moving here as part of the free state. We need to save the solvency mm -hmm. of the state. And you know, the Libertarian Party wasn't really in the game to be able to do that. And we don't have an infinite amount of time. But when I realized after, you know, that the Republicans are years, not the vehicle for freedom, that they're not only not the vehicle, they're the ones promoting the issue. Then now, that's now why I'm, right why now, I'm, we, we both know a lot of people who are ideologically libertarian, who support little, if any, taxes and a total free market. They they still a lot of them, maybe the majority are still work trying to work within the GOP. Do they not understand? Do they not know about Metascam because it's complicated? Or do they are they in denial or do they, they think they could save the GOP? A lot of what I've found is a lot of people, a lot of reps, this is why there's a difference, right? If you're running for state rep, you're representing your local district, so on and so forth. Governor is a, an executive function. You have to look at the whole standpoint. What I've found is there's been a strategy that says, let's look for the victories, whether on the Republican side or mm -hmm. the Demo Democrat side for, for liberty. So this is why we get things like, well, the bottle rocket law is, is changed and everything else. No one's looking at the bigger picture. We have a state. The state has a budget. Whether people want to talk about money or not, if we're not solvent, we're not actually a state. And if we're not sovereign, then none of what we're working on is ma matters. And none of the small bills or pet issues are even relevant. Uh, but I'm finding that a lot of reps, the average age of a, of a state rep is 67. Most of the profile of these people, it, they're, a lot of them are retired pensioners. I'd say only 10 to 20% of the people in the House are actually even ideologically there because they have a view about the future of the state and the future of government. Most of the rest of it is literally some form of cronyism or it's a social club. You're right. Mm -hmm. The future might matter more to those who, who are younger. Yeah. Well, yeah. well the way with it's an, set With up, an average age of 67. Yeah. I mean, I but, know people that are 30. I know people that yeah. – you know, all of the people that but I that's know. That's how it's set up because it doesn't pay, which I, I think is great that they don't pay state reps, but – you, unless you're, you know, uh, retired with pension, you can't really afford to put in a few days a week to do it. You mm. can't, but this is the big myth. Everybody says, well, oh, it's honorable. I'm only working for $100 a year, right? But look at Sean Jasper. Sean Jasper was the Speaker of the House. And that's a long story, but he was, he was picked by Sununu. And in fact, uh, they rigged that uh, because I spent a lot of time and money trying to get Bill O'Brien back into Speaker. Mm -hmm. They rigged that specifically so that Kelly Ayotte could get reelected. But in any event, Sean Jasper was there. He served his term, and now he's the head of agriculture. He makes a six-figure salary. Yeah. Uh, Peter Bragdon, who was in the state Senate. Oh, yes, uh, public service. He's only making $100 a year. He's now making six figures working on the pension fund for the state of New Hampshire. So if you look at the distribution of this, it's, yes, you can say I'm only working for a hundred dollars, but yeah, but, what, well, it's but, a stepping stone, and it gets is it you... a stepping stone to D.C. to become a lobbyist? Is it a stepping stone to get a cushy appointment? And in fact, in reality, with leadership, if you trace the history of it, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. It's cronyism gone wild. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. So I, I want to address. Yeah, you had a question. Yeah. So so I have a question. So you know, 
being a libertarian is kind of a nice position because you have a lot of great aspects of being a Republican and a lot of great aspects of, of being a liberal. So, you know, I have a, I have a Republican background myself, social uh, or fiscal conservatism, but I found that I was quite often very socially liberal and that sort of pushed me away from, from a lot of Republican policies. So my question, Aaron, is um, it's easy to say why a Republican would vote for you, but why do you think a, a liberal would vote for you? What, what policies do you have that would appeal to sort of the modern day liberal? Well, I mean, fundamentally, I've, I've always been a libertarian. Again, 20 out of 23 years. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so the government should get out of your bedroom, out of your garden, out of your business. Fundamentally, that's, that's always been the case. The only reason I became a Republican was because the existential threats that we're facing in New Hampshire are fundamentally fiscal, and we've got to deal with those issues. So I, mm -hmm. I, I don't think it would be all that hard. But there's another interesting thing, and I found this because I, you know— uh, once we get, get through this primary, and I, and I hope I win the primary, I think you'd be surprised. I, you know, I work with Mayday. I, I formed a super PAC called Stark 360. I worked with Mayday. Larry What's Lessig, Mayday? it was a Larry Lessig PAC to, to get, <laughs> ironically, money out of politics. I, I, I was supporting Jim Rubin's. Uh, it was an anti-Scott Brown situation. Um, I am for. I am not for getting money out of politics in the sense of we should have our First Amendment rights. Mm -hmm. But we were united in our opposition to Scott Brown. I've mm -hmm. worked with the most extreme people on the left. They 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 gave me a quarter of a million dollars wow. mm -hmm. in this in this pack. And so what I would say is this: uh, when you look at the left, the real big issue that people on the left has is around the idea of oppression. It's about we feel we're oppressed by the government. Mm -hmm. But here's the interesting thing. No one has oppressed anyone more than, than the, the way the elite in the Democrat Party have oppressed Democrats. Look at what happened with Bernie Sanders relative to Hillary Clinton, mm -hmm. right? Rigged yeah. election. And, and so my appeal to Democrats is a very simple one. If you believe that the big issue is fundamentally oppression and you know that you have oppression within your own party, then maybe you should be open to the idea that government isn't the answer and that we should look internally to ourselves and look to what we, should, what we can do voluntarily as communities to solve problems. That's, and again, I know a lot of people on, on the left there's wide agreement about corruption. There's wide agreement about cronyism. That, to me, is, is the hook. And in fact, I actually said this to somebody. A lot of the Ron Paul supporters from 2012 are gone from the Republican Party. There's a lot of similarity between the Bernie Sanders supporters in the Democrat Party and the Ron Paul supporters in terms of the young folks that were that are interested because anti-establishment. It's is it's, a, a it's big... fundamentally anti-establishment. If mm -hmm. we can unify, as you talked about the issues around gender, think mm -hmm. about the issue gender, race, all of these other things. These are politically engineered to uh, divide us of course to, to, to divide us mm -hmm. and fundamentally libertarianism is about individual rights it's mm -hmm. about saying whatever gender whatever the dynamic is we're just people yep. and so if everybody libertarian republican democrat aside says look this is about protecting individual rights not about how can this party versus this party steal my children's yep. future to pit us against one another then that's how we win. That's how we win as libertarians. Yeah, and mm -hmm. I like what you say about that's protected great. classes and minorities. And I think you've said this, and a lot of libertarians have said this, and I've said this. The smallest minority is the individual. It comes down to one individual as you get smaller and smaller by cohort. And 
who protects the individual the most? Individual rights, the libertarians. The libertarian philosophy protects individual rights. And on, let's talk LGBT and, and gender and minority. Who protects the the right of the LGBT individual, the, the gay individual, the transgender individual? Who's, as governor, who would protect their rights to keep 100% of their income the most? It would be a libertarian. It would be, it would be, it, once you label it, then it's a lobbying group. Then it's a law firm looking to get money. I have never seen animosity towards transgendered people until this whole situation was manufactured. Literally, what I, you know, what I said before, the government manufactures the problem, subsidizes inferior solutions, and then bans voluntary. And you see, they're fueling, they're fueling that that battle between maybe the conservative right and and the LGBT left. And mm. they want them to clash and fight, and then they'll run off with the gold. And they'll run off with the gold. But I've never seen. I mean, you look at it on. I, I don't remember seeing an anti transgender discussion meme or article it wasn't an in, issue at the forefront of, of our modern culture mm -hmm. no but but now it is now now it's it's been manufactured mm -hmm. um and uh, frankly this also happened with race I, you know people don't want to talk about it but a, a npr of all people put out a, a, a thing even since the civil rights act and since lbj um r racial division Mm -hmm. uh, has has gotten worse, and the disparity on the economic grounds has gotten worse. It, none of the laws have fixed anything. It's interesting, and they manufacture a, a battle that's not there. I spoke about it on the Liberty Block when we were back in WGCH studio in Connecticut years ago, a little bit after the Ferguson, Missouri issue. I think it was um, – what was his name? Uh, Brown or, or whoever that, that, that black individual was who was killed by the cop. Um, the big issue in Ferguson, Missouri, and, and there were some riots, but the, gov the big media and government focused in on that. I actually was in Ferguson very shortly after that incident. I was going around the country. I stopped in Missouri to meet a friend who was in Ferguson. And it's a very small town. It, in the bar, at least, that we were at was half black, half white. They got along 100% as well as anyone I've seen. They were literally laughing, singing, and dancing together, hanging out. So I mentioned we worked on, uh, on Stark 360 mm -hmm. with Mayday leftist pack i mean it's the most we all bizarre. get along we get along with each other the person, better than they'd have us believe the, the person that did field ops for mayday on that campaign came went from ferguson to new hampshire having never been here before interesting and helped recruit over a hundred people to push out literature without even knowing how the state worked that yeah. that so I agree. So that's fascinating. I didn't realize that, yeah. but but I've seen that. Mm. I, you know what? I'm, I'm going to tell you something. I, I I've been able to work more with the left, the fringe left, than the establishment Republicans. Yeah, and, and the ACLU, which is generally considered on the left, right in New Hampshire, at least the New Hampshire ACLU, we know the libertarian movement and some conservatives as well. But the libertarians, really, that whole movement of people works quite a bit with the, with the ACLU. But they work on the issues of I think some police reform law enforcement reform, also with the federal government, with the checkpoints in New Hampshire as well, with the federal and state issues. I'm sure you're more familiar with, with the state helping the feds kind of do these checkpoints. And the ACLU is attacking that and holding the government accountable and supporting individual freedom and supporting us, you know, the Fourth Amendment and, and these warrantless searches and people stopping your car with the checkpoints. It's the ACLU, which is really on the left, and, and the libertarians find more common ground with, with the people on the left. And there are liberals who are at the ACLU. I went to an event a few weeks ago. It was... How, were you there? How many people were there? 50, 60, 100? And, mm. and they were all they were real liberals, big lefties. Mm -hmm. But we had a fantastic time together. We were all talking together and all working on how can we you know, know our rights. It was called Know Your Rights, the, the event they put on, and how, how to know your rights in regards to the Fourth Amendment and checkpoints. So there's a lot of common ground, like you said. And, and I just want to drive home that point a lot, that 
we really do get along better with with as far as the the races uh, the ethnicities and minorities but also the right and the left we get along a lot better than maybe cnn and and the government would have us believe because they're fueling this divide i mean in this state divide I'm, not, I, I, I'm not even going to go into the details but i i met you know a couple of days ago with a somebody on the left that's that's dealt with legal issues and everything and i've had legal issues here if, if you you know if you speak out or whatever you you know you get sued the commonality around corruption and cronyism yeah that and we need to promote that that is the libertarian win it's not pick the most fringe issue you don't think it's cliche at this point anti-corruption like everyone says they're anti-corruption has it lost its meaning when you say i'm an anti-corruption candidate literally 100 percent of candidates run on a platform of anti-corruption no one runs as a corrupt politician well, well, no, well, no one runs it, but you know, when you get in a lawsuit, do people still hear it? You know what I mean? Their ears are dulled when you say, "I don't like corruption." They like, yeah. But, again, I, I look at New Hampshire as being a little bit different. I, I was just at a court hearing yesterday. Um, somebody who uh, Janet Del Fuca, who I've I've followed and recorded in multiple court hearings, people in family court, people that have had family court issues, issues with their children, divorces, and everything else. That is a fundamentally economically driven issue. That is a, a cottage industry for lawyers. And you'll never find anybody more passionate about when you try to steal their money and steal their children th than that. And it is, com it is completely corrupt in the state. What, what I've said over and over again is, even running for governor and everything else, you know, running for governor is, is I can do a limited amount. It's a weak position. But you know what we need? We need Yelp. For lawyers, mm -hmm. judges, and cops. Look at this Lori's list where um, it's all redacted. So you have all of these cops that have engaged in all of this bad behavior. But when you see the final report, well, you don't know who it for is. For those who have never heard of Lori's list, because I barely know anything about it, can you explain how it came to be? Isn't it the, the chiefs? The chiefs put certain cops on that list, right, when they're deemed untrustworthy or – how do they the, get on the list? The, the, that's that's how it works. But but it's but all the information is redacted. So the names are not are not visible. The names are not visible. You can see here's the general action and everything else. And but they go out of their way to make sure that you can't identify who it is. Here's the interesting thing: as a citizen, if you get pulled over, I was arrested two weeks ago for a ridiculous situation. Jeez. They'll put your mugshot everywhere for whatever it is right away. Innocent. They don't uh, care about uh, your uh, privacy. They but. don't care about my privacy at all. But when but, it's the, when it's the when cop it's or the cop, government official. Like Nick Willard, who is now has been elevated. He was the chief of police of Manchester. He had a situation where he mysteriously at 5 o'clock in the morning ran into a granite mailbox pole w running a state vehicle. Now, you know, if I say anything about it, I'll get sued if I try to make any kind of implications about that. But I've certainly talked to people that mm -hmm. have knowledge. He's promoted. This guy has been promoted. Does that happen to you as a citizen? <laughs> right now, if I drove my car into a mailbox, I wouldn't be promoted. No one would be promoted. Yeah, and if you yeah. did it in a company car, oh, I, yeah. you probably have some financial yeah. liability. And, and staying, staying with law enforcement reform, because if you know libertyblock.com, like almost half of what we write about in the last year or two is actually on, on reforming law enforcement. Because like you were just mentioning, they, law enforcement on, on a city and state level, they really do seem to be – if not 100% unaccountable, maybe maybe 90, 95% unaccountable of, of, I think, every year of thousands, over 1,000 who are at least at least charged or prosecuted for murder, like less than three, I believe, are convicted out of every 1,000. It's, it's, I think, like eight have been convicted over the last few years, I believe, of murder, of <laughs> thousands of thousands. We've investigated ourselves and found I've, ourselves not yeah, guilty. I, I, think, I think you posted that recently. <laughs> I, we investigate all, all ourselves. Yep. Yes. What, what a pleasure it must be to investigate yourself 
next time my girlfriend says something, I'll say, honey, I investigated myself and I haven't found any wrongdoing that I've done. So about, about law enforcement reform, I'm not sure if you're following this. I wrote about the, the LPR issue a few months ago mm-hmm. and, and there was a new development having to do with a, a cop getting in trouble. The state of New Hampshire has always been, at least before 2016, I believe it was the only state in the U.S. that the whose state laws prohibited local police departments in the state from utilizing automatic license plate readers, license plate scanners on, on police-mounted vehicles that perpetually scan every license around 1,500 a minute. And whenever something uh, it pops up, it matches their database. So they're scanning license plates and running them against a database. Whenever something pops up that matches someone with, with a warrant or, or even a criminal history, I, I don't know, whatever it matches criteria-wise – but it'll pop up on the computer that the cops have in their cop car and alert them. And I've heard that it actually makes a noise and alerts them, and then they pull over that car. So it's continuously scanning every license plate. So that was illegal in New Hampshire. I believe all 49 other states allowed for it. In 2016, it was a, a bill was submitted that repealed that ban on LPRs, license plate readers in the state, and it passed. And Governor Hassan, at the time of 2016, signed it into law. You know who, who uh, proposed the bill? A Republican. Was it Neil Kirk? Don't remember. I don't, this is the Republican the, rep from Bedford, maybe somewhere in the area. The, the odd part about this is that this was a big liberty issue. We 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 obviously to have the status of not doing this mm-hmm. was something that we fought. How for. did that bill I, pass? In this republic, actually, in the darkness and then the shadows, mm-hmm. because to have that happen under kind of a Republican watch is amazing. But Neil Kirk who uh, was the chair of finance, who isn't running again, which w- watch his appointment, by the way. You, want, you know, we talked about this whole idea of, oh, well, people only work for $100 a year. Then you let's leave the see, house and you get a promotion. Yep. Let's yep. see what happens to Neil Kirk because Neil was, I believe, the chair of finance. And I've met, Neil, Bur- Neil Kirk has been in my basement. He's been in my house. I, I've, I've talked to him at length. He was always the privacy guy. And he backed this bill. He was the one that prevented it in the past and then when it actually was it was it pressure from police unions or what was it do you know i have no idea but but i didn't really like neil kirk a lot of people in the liberty community kept on telling me he was a great guy i met with him he was not in the right place on medicaid expansion which to me again it's not a pet issue it's 30 percent of the budget affects the health and wealth of every man woman and child in the state of new hampshire he was wrong on that but I was told he was like the guru on, on, on technology. And so he came up to the basement, and I, you know, and, and I walked through all this stuff. And he was supposed to be this privacy expert, and he's not even on Facebook. Hmm. So it's kind of this weird dynamic. So I don't know what caused it, but, but we should research it and find out. So, because yes. so the, it the, went off the rails 180 degrees. Yeah. So the bill allowed for police departments to utilize it, and then I think a, a few months ago, or maybe a year ago, a town of Lincoln, New Hampshire, I believe, so north of here, cent- center of the state, their police department, they said they were going to be the first one to utilize the license plate reader on a police vehicle. I think they got one. Yep. So a few months ago, they started using this, and I believe it's already been in practice, and there was an article, I think a union leader article published about it. And the the chief, I think Chief Ted Smith of of Lincoln Police, was quoted as saying, "We're very excited about this," and, and you know he believes it would be a, a good tool. And I think either him or someone else in the article referenced how it would be used to catch maybe maybe murderers, maybe kidnappers, of course. But oh, right. I I for think that yeah, I think the scanner <laughs> for <children>. safety. <laughs> yeah. But I think the scanner scans license plates, and if something is a hit against your, your database, then it's a hit, and then that cop knows. And the article says that those these LPRs will be 
scanning 1,500 license plates per minute. 1,500 every minute, perpetually scanning license plates. You know how many people live in Lincoln? 1,700. So in just over a minute, in under a minute and a half, every single person in Lincoln, assuming every person has a license plate on the vehicle, is being scanned. And this is a perpetual scanning of every license plate. And not only scanning them, it's an investigation. So we talk about the Fourth Amendment where, where, you know, um, there's a, a... reasonable expectation of privacy in public. And I understand when I'm in my car, I don't have a reasonable expectation to be private on the public roadway. But I do have a reasonable expectation to be to be private, to not be investigated, right? Now, when a cop pulls me over, then that, that threshold, from what I understand legally, I'm not a lawyer disclaimer, from what I understand that there's a certain threshold, as the cop pulls me over, it's called suspicion, the technical term. He has suspicion I committed a crime, and he, he could give me a ticket, which is charging me with a crime, speeding or reckless driving, whatever it might be. And then he could do a bit more of an investigation. He could ask me some questions maybe or do a bit more. But when you're just driving – or wait, when your car is parked because the license is still on the car, right? If we were in Lincoln right now when your car is parked outside, your license is being scanned constantly as the cops are driving around. So they know where you are. Yep. Now, again, Lincoln's a small town of 1700, which is good and bad. You, you might have some cop who has an ex-wife. He wants to know her whereabouts. Literally, by utilizing this license plate scanner, this is ridiculous for privacy. It's a black hole. He could see where his ex-wife is, whose house she's at now, who she's seeing, where she's going, see their schedule, and see at 2 p.m. she's here, and at 5 p.m. she's here, and on Wednesdays she's here using this license plate scanner system, which is perpetually not only scanning but investigating every license plate. It's sickening. So, again, it, what I want to mention is is in the article it mentioned that we – in New Hampshire, the law allowed for the, the shortest amount of time for that, that – Data, I guess, the license plate itself to be kept in the system is three seconds, I believe, or three minutes. Three minutes, and then if there's no hit, you know, it's gone from the system. That's what they say. I, I don't understand the technological aspect of it. I'm not an IT person, but that's what they say. I don't know if I trust them. But they said, you know, they, they would, of course, be, be worried about our privacy. You know what just happened a few weeks ago, and I think I published this too. The yep. chief, Ted Smith, was, was uh, indefinitely suspended by the town manager, the chief of this police department, for what? For actually not respecting privacy and for actually releasing confidential information. How ironic is that? Well, it's kind of expected at this point. Incredible. And again, going back to the, I I know uh, the Liberty community, the Liberty, New Hampshire Liberty Alliance and others were behind protecting this scanning originally. So the fact that it happened under Republican control when Neil Kirk was there was baffling. And when you flagged it and I talked to other people and I looked at the bill, I'm like, how is it the guy that people say is the privacy guy is supporting the bill that's now violating it? I, like, honestly, I'm going to tell you, I'm, I was baffled, and, and, and no one has a good answer. So would you, he, as governor, would you sign a bill reinstating that ban on LPRs? In well, absolutely. I mean, that's, a non, that's kind of a non-issue. I mean, I, you know, I, and, and look at the Article 8 of the, of the uh, New Hampshire Constitution. We need to get back to that in a big way. The balance of power here, I mean, people don't— People forget the cops work for us, not the other way around. And it's been completely uh, twisted the other way in a very short period of time. So, yes, I I would absolutely support repealing that. But I'm still trying to understand why it happened as well. In with Republican control, with this guy who was the chair of the finance committee that everybody told me, Liberty people told me, is the privacy guy who I met with and didn't like, didn't support – uh, and it turns out he went the other way. It's like, look. It's sad to say, but a lot of conservatives and Republicans really – they really trust law enforcement and support them and, and want law enforcement to really have a, a scary amount of power. That's what it seems. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, well, I st I still don't know what the answer is on this. You're right in general, but I don't. I still don't understand this this bill and why this happened. It actually defies um, the history of even that legislator. So more research needs to be done. Yeah. So in the final ten minutes we have, I'm going to go rapid fire and ask you a whole lot of questions. Sure. And I'm sure a, a lot of listeners, a lot of viewers, want to know about the opioid crisis, which which is a massive issue in New Hampshire. Although it, it might be overblown in, in some aspects, but what would be your general approach in a real quick one one minute thirty second synopsis to, to the opioid crisis of people dying in New Hampshire? Uh, open up to the free market. The, the, the government has well manufactured the problem. I mean, I, it, you, you can look at the History Channel and everything else. The government has 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 created the drug problem. But when you want to talk about funding inferior solutions, I mean, I've been in lawsuits around this. I keep on asking every drug treatment center in this state to provide objective evidence that the Medicaid-funded treatment that they're mm -hmm. using works, and no one has given me any data. And in fact, and it's public, and I'm not shy about it, you, and you can see it. I've had people say, well, we need more money to be able to figure out what the answers are. I had one guy who's been running a treatment center for 10 years who has 200 employees mm -hmm. telling me we need more money to be able to figure out how to measure the results. In the real world, in business, when you come up with an idea, you figure out how you're going to measure whether it's successful or not. This isn't how this works at all. We need a moonshot situation here. We need new ideas to figure out how to solve this problem, and they will never come from the government. Well, a lot of people say the government should should you know take the lead on, on the opioid issue. It's a public health crisis. Right, you can call anything a public health crisis. It affects public health. It does. I, now, people say that it's the government's, you know, one of their primary responsibilities is to keep the public safe and healthy and alive. And 500 people a year, on average, I believe, die in Hampshire of opioid issues. In general, would you support, and, and to what extent do you think it's the state government's responsibility to keep us safe? And I have here, that's 500 die of opioids, but in New Hampshire, 2,800 people a year, at least in 2016, died of cancer. So um, almost six times the amount of people died of cancer. Should the government take that? How about heart disease? It kills uh, 2,600 in 2016, so five times that amount. The government doesn't solve any of these issues. Even and, if we ban soda? Yeah, even banning soda. I mean, I know you're from New York. That's, that's, a, that's a big yeah, issue. They that's, almost that, banned that's it. That's not going to be the panacea. Banned straws. <laughs> but you know what? I'm going to say something about you know, New Hampshire and not to get into a lot of detail. We, we're, like, we're the cryptocurrency capital mm -hmm. of the world. And, and there was a group called the Pineapple Fund. I don't even know, man or woman, gender, I don't know who it was. Some individual of mm -hmm. unspecified gender put $55 million into a bunch of nonprofits kind of randomly to look at various different things, investing in using MDMA to try to solve PTSD, a whole variety of different issues. I, you know, I would call, and we have a lot of wealthy people in this state, I, I would call for, it is a big problem. It requires experimentation. Let's do it privately. And let's get the state out of it. And, 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 and I know, and I've talked to a lot, look, I, this has affected me personally. I mean, I have an uncle that was, um, was in the military uh, 30 years ago, I don't know how long ago, he got addicted to painkillers and to the point, but they cut off his meds and he, he's a smart guy, kind of, when I <laughs> explain the rest of the story, but figured out how to shoot himself strategically in the kneecap so that he could get more pain meds. Right. I mean, this is I, I mean, I've seen this situation, stories, but we need real solutions. And what happens is when the government funds something, when you actually dig into the details of Medicaid, they fund things that are called that are evidence based. And all evidence based means is that essentially it's better than nothing. 
It's uh, not that it, it's it's not that it solves the problem with fifty percent accuracy. It's that if everybody's dying and this thing is like two percent effective, it's technically better. Then it's, it's technically well. evidence based. But there's another problem that happens. If something that's evidence based, if if you say I've done a clinical trial and it says this methodology works, but then you take that methodology and you give it to unproven people, many of whom are addicts themselves, only quote recently recovered. Mm-hmm. I'm not even making this up, and you know this. I know you're an EMT. I mean, we, we have situations right now where people are talking about Narcan parties. We have yep, people I, that I've are, heard of Narcan parties. People are called frequent flyers that are going in and out of the hospital, ODing, being brought back with Narcan and everything else. And with all of the statistics that we look at, the death rate is down, which is great. But the underlying reason of are, are more people addicted and are they becoming not addicted? That hasn't been improved. And everything that Sununu does, everything that the federal government does is a photo op. Uh, and what we're losing is the ability for people to experiment. Even going back to the idea of companies, people working in garages and everything. I don't mm-hmm. know what the answer is. And as governor, I'm not saying I have what the solution is. People know what there, – there are solutions out there. They will never be implemented or scaled unless the government the monopolizes government it and elbows out them out. It boxes exactly. them out. Yeah. But one, one solution actually that a lot of people in New Hampshire are supporting that Sununu came out and said he will not support is expanding marijuana being more legal so that people either for, for pain or recreation or for anything else to treat other, other issues could maybe resort to marijuana, which is of course less addictive and less dangerous than opioids. What would be your thoughts on that? Would you support bills that would expand maybe marijuana uh, medically recreationally? Well, I, I mean, I would support it, but it, just at a fundamental basis, it's, it's kind of the fact that we have state-run liquor stores. You know, the, the irony of all of this is that alcoholism is a bigger health problem in mm-hmm. the state of New Hampshire than the opioid crisis. No one wants to talk about that. It's absolutely true. And, you know, I'll dig back into Medicaid expansion for a minute. The way Medicaid expansion worked is the federal government was going to subsidize 100% of it. It was going to taper down to 90% over a period of time. And they came up with some fraudulent ways to come up with that gap because the politicians were saying, well, no taxpayer will pay for this. Ultimately, the way we're funding now, the gap between what the federal government is subsidizing and what, uh, what is covered by the state is a tax on alcohol sales. And they're using it. They're using the opioid crisis as the justification for it. So, so in they other need to words, spend more on the opioid crisis. So in other words, alcoholism is a bigger problem than the opioid crisis. But we want to make more money off of that so that we can siphon some of those money, some of that money to go to opioid treatment that has no definitive objective success metrics mm. that yeah. we can talk about. That, and I have spoken about this, and I've, I've been sued. I've done a whole bunch of things about this. It's absurd. It's absolutely absurd. Yeah. So, so real mm. rapid fire before we, we close yeah, out a few more right. minutes. A bunch more questions for you. Um, the the fiscal conservatives you you discussed why fiscal conservatives to vote for you, the as far as the uh, social conservatives I don't think we spoke about yet the the transgender bathroom bill that you know we were speaking about it with with Ryan earlier, the transgender bathroom bill that that Sununu signed and the the legislature passed that forces private businesses to allow people into any gender restroom that they identify with. What do you think is the solution to that? Would you would you support it or not support it? Well, I wouldn't support it. But more importantly, I mean, I'm friends with Rogers Johnson, who's the head of that whole diversity initiative. And he maybe mistakenly sent me, that whole thing was a sham. 
uh, it was just a, it was a shell to look like he's for diversity. I actually got a message from him saying, well, we don't like the conclusions that our own diversity committee came up with. Can you help organize conservatives against it? Interesting. It, it's, all, it it's all BS. Who There's, should make the decision on, on where people could use the restroom as far as going into businesses? It's a property rights issue. It's, it, it comes down to individuals and businesses, period. There's no question. And, you know, the, the New York Times came out with this article incendiary article which i i put out on facebook that has like over 700 comments on it it said well new hampshire's 94 percent white mm -hmm. you know and and their thing instead of live free or die we need to be diversify or die mm -hmm. and 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 i you know i sent that out it's like are, are you nuts that we, i mean we don't have a ra I, I have not seen a racism problem here but it's also not a it's just not an issue no one's preventing anybody from moving to new hampshire we don't have a wall preventing people around most our people in new, in new hampshire support free movement support diversity encourage mm -hmm. people to move here they, they absolutely do and i'm part of the free state project and, and that's happened i mean carla carla is uh, a, an african-american she's from south africa yeah. she's white but te technically yeah, yeah but but i mean i frankly i think the free state project maybe has has has, has changed the the uh, ethnic balance probably but, but not by design, not by law, not by edict, not mm -hmm. by what people are trying to. And again, with everything else, I, I've never seen anybody. I've never seen jokes about transgender people until people tried to make a law about mm -hmm. it. And until a consultant was in and a lawyer was in and there was a, a protected class that people could profit by. Mm -hmm. I've never seen any of this. I've not experienced or seen racism, e e even just generically. It, it, any of that mm -hmm. in this state, it's being manufactured by politicians who want to basically take— I think there's some race baiting. In that article, I think there's definitely some race baiting. They want white people to come out and, and kind of go on the offensive, and then they can point at the white people going offensive, being alt-right, being white supremacist, and create a battle. I think that's what it is. And what's interesting about, about the article saying New Hampshire, a, a state 94% white, asks how do you diversify a whole state— Incredible, incredible, disgusting article. We spoke about it a few weeks ago on the program. We were both pretty angry, and rightly so. What's interesting is that they were saying that New Hampshire is, is too racist and too white, and it is 94% white, and it's natural. And there are states that I'm sure are, are, have a different makeup. Like where I come from, the Bronx, Queens, it's like 95% it's like black and Hispanic, which is fine. It's natural. What's interesting is that just last month alone, I happened to be in the courthouse when they were doing the swearing-in ceremony for U.S. citizenship because someone was becoming a U.S. citizen that day. There were uh, 79 people from 33 countries who worked so hard and paid the 700 bucks and waited the years and filed all the paperwork because they wanted to become U.S. citizens, and they did it here in New Hampshire because they were living in New Hampshire. People from 33 different nations. There are like 195 countries, but as far as like actual big countries with a lot of people, there are pretty much 33. This was every major country. Almost every major country in the world, there are people who moved from there to here, some from Iran who might have been persecuted, some from South America, from uh, uh, Latin America, from everywhere in the, in the country, everywhere in the world, moving here, lived in New Hampshire, and became a U.S. citizen, and they loved New Hampshire, and they wanted to be here, became citizens. Clearly, they don't think we're too racist or too white. So, that's an interesting point as well. A, a few more rapid-fire questions. Yep. The homeschoolers, I know there are a lot of homeschoolers, and I, I hope to be one one day as far as a homeschool parent. Mm, me too. Why should they, why should they vote for you? as opposed to the, the great Democrats, Martin and Kelly, and the great Republicans, Sununu and, and the other Libertarian. Why should they support you? Well, I have eight-year-old twins, one boy, one girl. And, and, and in fact, I moved here in part because of, of this issue. Um, uh, New Hampshire generally ranks high on this, uh, on, on the school issue. I, I, I am for 
for school choice, but not necessarily in the bill that was put out, this SB 193. What we actually need to do is to get the state out of education together. What, what I'd like to see, and I don't have the ability as governor to you know, promote this or push it forward, I'd like a constitutional amendment that gets the state out of local education. It, you look at this, it's a wrong. Every, and, and I'm so sick of it. I, and I live in Bedford. I pay a lot of money in property taxes. I've heard a lot of money in property taxes, and I don't send my kids to pub, you know, to the public schools there. And 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 that's not. And you're being forced to pay you homeschool or private school. Uh, I'm sending them to private school. So you're you are financially being stupid because you're paying for two schools for each one. Uh, I'm Correct. I'm paying two. Well, it's worse than that because because Bedford is the wealthiest you know town uh, you know per capita. That money is then even redistributed amongst the other to the state and redistributed a little more, yeah. So, so I mean, I'm getting hit multiple, multiple times, and you don't get any money back. So, you pay in a few thousand bucks a year towards the public school system. You don't use it. Do you get any of that money back to use for your private schools for your kids? I, I get, I get none of it back. I mean, you know, we're, I'm paying almost twenty thousand dollars a year, and I'm paying. Tuition. And what do you support an ESA or a voucher bill to give some money back to parents of homeschool kids? So, so the issue with this is, I would support a, an ESA bill if it were clean. What I'm worried about, though, kind of like with Medicaid, it's kind of like what happened with Medicaid. What the politicians did with Medicaid is they said, well, let's take the federal money and give it to private insurers, but then we'll have all of these regulations. So what can happen, sadly, is you can destroy the private market by having the government dictate uh, and be the funnel by which money goes to those private So you support a, a real simple bill. Again, it could be one paragraph. Give the money they spend on on property taxes, which is supposed to go to education, give them the money back or at least a percentage of it so that they can get it in cash and use it for private school or or, or homeschool. Or homeschooling, but no means testing, no strict criteria. But even if you do that, this is the big problem, right? I talk to people – I mean I'm running for governor and and again, it's a weak position. There's not – you know, I'd fire the if, if I'm used to starting companies, right? I'd fire the AG yeah. we have immediately. I can't fire this guy. He's got a longer term. I didn't hire him privately, but well, that's a separate conversation for a different day. I'd fire him immediately. I can't. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people come to me, family law, everything else. What would you do? With- I can't do anything about it. I, you know, I'm kind of hamstrung. Um, but a lot of people, as I'm going across the state and speaking to different groups, what they say to me is. Property taxes are my biggest issue. Mm-hmm. That is the big impediment. And here's the thing with property taxes. I can do a little bit about it, but across the state, 56% of property taxes go to public education. Mm-hmm. If you want to fix the property tax situation, run for school board. The uh, participation rate that is under 20% in those elections. We, you know, You can actually have a big impact on these local school board races. That's how you affect your property taxes. So even if you do an ESA bill, even if you do school choice, because here's one of the problems that I had. People argue, well, if you have school choice, this will be great. It won't be great economically. Uh, and here's why. In the last 20 years, um, we've seen a massive, in, we, we've had, or actually, I think it's the last 10 years, um, student enrollment is down 20%. In the public school system? In the public school system. Now, if you said, well, enrollment's down 20%, I look forward to, to the cost must be down 20%. Of course, cost per right. student, yeah. <laughs> nope, costs no. are up. And and it's proje- and it's projected that in the next 10 years it's going to be even worse. And so here's the, one of the problems that I have with the ESA bill, which is it says, well, 
people will have more choice. Students will have more choice, but it doesn't mean you're going to control costs. And honestly, they'll still spend a whole lot. They'll still spend more and they'll come up with some other, I've seen, I've been in the school board meetings, even in Bedford where it's like, well, well now we have to compete with the private schools. Well, the reason that people are moving is that we haven't spent enough money. The actual cost of government, the actual amount of spending is the problem. And unless we actually cut spending, we are going to be in a very bad situation as a state. And so I am for absolutely reducing the size of government. And when it comes to school choice, I want the state out of local. And I encourage people, because it's not within my purview, to run for their local mm-hmm. school board so that they can help control their own costs and have a bigger say locally in what goes on. Yeah. Next question, switching gears a little bit. We haven't discussed it yet. Why should the, the gun owners vote for you? They're happy with what you know Republicans are doing. At least they aren't destroying that issue as far as freedom. Why should they support you as opposed to the Republican or, or others? I've been A-rated uh, in 2016. I ran for United States Senate in, in 2016. I, I received an A-star rating from the New Hampshire Firearms Coalition. I believe Kelly Ayotte received a C or a D rating. Uh, I received an A rating again. Uh, but... And I even look at this because I haven't filled out necessarily even all the gun surveys. And anybody who's been in New Hampshire will know uh, the number of fractions. You've seen the memes you post. Well, yeah. The the number of gun groups is kind of – it's awesome on the one hand, right? It's like, wow. All right. Live free or die. We are here now. Um, With that said, I am fully for not only constitutional carry but but to – state my position. I'm for 3D printed guns. This is a natural rights issue. This is about being able to fundamentally defend yourself. And so my rating stands for itself, but, I, but I'm even you know, kind of more beyond that. And I, you know, I don't want to badmouth the NRA, but the NRA has not been as... Oh, they already said they want to regulate it, right? They, they, they want to regulate it, and uh, that's... I'm not going to get into Oliver North and, and, and that whole background, but mm-hmm. I'm not for that. This is about defending yourself, and this is about your natural rights. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. the natural right to self-defense, which is a natural right. Everyone has the right to defend themselves, and the natural right to property. It's property rights. And property, you know, property we think about money and, and cars and houses, but a piece of metal or polymer is also property. <laughs> so Absolutely. I think it's a property rights issue and, and these natural uh, self-defense rights issue, and the, the, the printing is a First Amendment issue as well, of course. It, it absolutely so a lot is. Of I, it, and I think, I, I think Cody Wilson is a, is a hero, and uh, as former chair of the Free State Project, I, I look forward to seeing him. And at I will Liberty be, Forum, I, right? I will be at Liberty Forum uh, in, in, in February and am and, and really happy that he's going to be there and support his initiatives 100%. I have two more questions. And we're going to end on a high note. Do you think our grandchildren, your kids when they grow up and have kids, and, and my grandchildren will have more or less freedom if they live in New Hampshire than we do now? Depends on what we do. Um, I mean, inertia, I would say no. So when I mean, you say it's a high note. We got no, the next we, question we, will be more positive. So, 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 so I mean, we, 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 so it, it's up to what we do. I, I'm, I'm frustrated. I mean, I'm, I'm exhausted. I mean, I've mm-hmm. been I've, – I've been – I've been sued. I've had I've had people from the attorney general's office in my it, you know come to my house I, it, and everything else. Uh, there's a lot of resistance to maintaining live free or die. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have to fight for it, but I think we can win. And I think this is the best place and the best opportunity to make that happen. I agree. And and, and going off that, what would you say your favorite thing is about New Hampshire? I mean, it is it is fundamentally that it is the live free or die state. I you know I came here as part of the Free State Project, and, and that's 
that's somewhat controversial. It's less mm-hmm. controversial than it used to be. I mean, NHPR did a um, like this bracket of well, what is peak New Hampshire? And ultimately, the finalists were you know the live free or die yeah. motto itself, and uh, versus the free, free state staters, project. Yeah. Um, I, you, you, you know, as much as I'm a transplant here, uh, but how long ago did you move here? Almost ten years oh. ago now. Uh, but when I talk to people that have been here... It's more recent than a lot of people. A lot of people moved over the mass border you know, in the last months or years. They, they, they have, but you know... And you know who Mara Sullivan is. <laughs> well, yeah. You know, so, yeah, Chicago is fully represented, but you know, partially, temporarily, transitorily represented with her. But, but what I find when I talk to people... I now know more people that are not part of the Free State Project than, than are. Um, and... They, they kind of laugh. It's kind of like, well, it, it's not like we invented Live Free or Die or we invented It was Liberty. already it's, free before the FSB moved here. It's in the DNA. It truly is. At NHPR, not that I agree with them on you know, 90% of the issues, but they nailed it. The Free State Project is synonymous with Live Free or Die, and Live Free or Die is the DNA of New Hampshire. And that's why I'm optimistic. That's why I'm here. That's why I have kids. This is you know, all part of, part of uh, why I'm here. So... Fantastic. Anything else you want to say to the voters of New Hampshire before the primary September 11th? I mean, I just say, you know, please, you know, please come out and vote. Pull a libertarian ballot if you're undeclared. If you haven't registered yet, you know, uh, register and e- either as undeclared or as, as a libertarian and pull a libertarian ballot. And and when you look at the the races and everything else, it's a lot of negativity and, and everything else. We, we need to change the dynamic. We need to we need to make sure. You know, I've, I've joked about this. It's probably not. A good joke, but you know, make nine eleven great again. We need to, you know, because that's the date of the, the date, date yeah, of the, the primary. primary. But, but frankly, um, uh, if if we're going to, this is the beacon of liberty mm-hmm. is New Hampshire, and we have. And once we go under, there might not be a place to run. There, there won't be a place to run, and the Republicans and Democrats have gone out of their way to tie us to Washington D.C. and to increase spending. We can change it. So instead of deciding between the lesser of two evils. Choose to own your own life. Choose to make decisions for your family and for your community and, and reject the two-party system. Because, and I think it's in the DNA of everybody that's going to be watching this. It's, it is inherent to New Hampshire. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Tune in next week for the other libertarian candidate running in the primary, Gillette Jarvis. That'll be on Liberty Block Live from our Facebook page at 7 p.m. on Thursday evening. Aaron Day, thank you so much for coming thank on the program. Thank you very much for having me. Appreciate it's fantastic. it. fantastic. Thank you. And to everyone, we'll drop the Patreon link down below so we can keep this amazing production and the AV engineer going. We'll put that link in the comments, and we'll link to all the other articles we referenced. Thank you so much, and please share the video, and please at least vote in the primary on September 11th in a week and a half on Tuesday. Thank you very much, and have a good night. Hi, this is Elliot Axelman from the Liberty Block. If you like our video, hit like, share, and subscribe. Check us out on libertyblock.com. Always principled, always libertarian.